Hey everyone, welcome back to a brand new episode of Trending Left. This is Trending Left number nine. Number uh, nine? Number nine. Number nine? Like the Beatles song, exactly. Uh, next week we have uh, Trending Left number ten. It'll be the final episode before the holidays, so keep an eye out for that. Um, go around the room a little bit. I'm Marco Lajardo. I'm Andrew Herrera. I'm Samuel Birdsall. I'm Nicholas Cobb. Great. So before we dive into the news of the week, uh, and there's a lot to discuss there, um, I want to just talk a little bit briefly about um, the, the movie three of us saw yesterday, uh, The Disaster Artist, uh, The Room, Tommy Wiseau, Greg Sestero, all that good stuff. So uh, yesterday, Andrew, Nick, and I, we went to go, and with some of the other uh, UDEMs, we went to go see The Disaster Artist. And at the Alamo Draft House, we actually got to meet Greg Sestero, which was pretty cool. He did like a private Q&A in the cinema and everything. Um, the movie itself was also pretty good, pretty comedic, uh, comedic retelling of the story of how the room was made, and you know, um, James Franco and Seth Rogen, they're all funny, and it's, a, it's just a fun little comedic romp. Um, and we actually got to meet Greg Sestero, take pictures with him, um, get some funny audio recordings of him saying, what, what did he say, Nick? Oh, uh, he said, leave your stupid comments in your pocket. Yeah. So, uh, and then a couple days ago, um, you know, we, we did see the room, some of us for the first time, some for the second time. Some for the fifth time. Some for the fifth time. Yeah. <laughs> the fifth time. And, I mean, it's just a delightful train wreck. Uh, you know, it really is the you know the quintessential So Bad It's Good movie. Yes. Tommy um, Wiseau is the man, the myth, and the legend. And yes, if you, if yes. you would like to be a guest on Training Alive, we would have Yeah, actually, this is a public call. We want Tommy Wiseau on the pod uh, to discuss the intricacies of healthcare. Well, yeah, uh, no problem, Marco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Republicans are bad. <laughs> the Republicans spend our money, and we are the fools. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, good stuff, and uh, we recommend uh, y'all go see the Disaster Artist in the room, and you know even read the Disaster Artist book, um, which you know I've heard is pretty good as well. Okay, so right into it, news of the week: we've got tax reform, we've got net neutrality, we've got bombshells from the Mueller investigation on Russia, Michael Flynn, all that. So I want to kind of start a little bit, uh, talk about Congress and the uh, tax reform bill that the Senate jammed through. Uh, in the wee hours of late last week, where the Senate, through a, I think it was a 51 to 49 vote bill, uh, vote, where the only Republican that crossed party lines was Senator Bob Corker, who's, you know, not up for re-election, has nothing to lose, uh, joined, joined with the all 48 Senate Democrats voting against this bill, and where this bill received no bipartisan influence, no compromise, no air of anything that they wanted to either moderate this bill, work with the Democrats, produce something that maybe could get some Democratic crossover, no inclination of that. Um, all of this stuff was very closed door, whether it was the illegible handwritten notes or the, um, the thing, you know, closed committee hearings, whatever. So I want to go around the room a little bit and let's talk about this. Uh, what many liberal pundits are calling the Donor Relief Act of 2017. What do we think about this tax reform bill, guys? I mean, absolutely, that's what it is. It's, it's a giveaway to the rich, to multinational corporations, to the top one percent, you know, one-tenth of one percent, the, the group that's we've heard Bernie Sanders and a lot of progressives keep railing about, and it's because it's true. And I think for the first time, we're, we're starting to see even moderate Democrats in the House and in the Senate, their, their criticisms of this group and of how much they are influencing policy through lobbying and things like that, um, really being called out. The media is highlighting it, I think, for the first time, which is, which is great, obviously, but it's a little late when they've already passed this tax bill. Um, 
you know, we already mentioned it's going to give over $1 trillion from the middle class as far as their earned revenue, tax revenue, um, subsidies to Medicare, Social Security, other things like that that are being cut to Obamacare-related subsidies. Yeah. And it's being taken and redistributed all the way to the top. Repeal of the individual mandate. That's yeah. going to kick off over 10 million people off their health insurance. Yeah, and we have, we have literally senators that because of pork barrel legislation are voting for this. We had Lisa Murkowski come out and say that the only reason that she was going to vote for it, you know, the motivation was that they took her bill, which was going to allow... Um, oil companies to finally start drilling for oil in, in, in uh, specialized parts of Alaska. Yeah. They included that in the tax reform. Heroes but, of the resistance. Yeah, right? it's, it's just <laughs> it's it's a flip one flip flop after another. And obviously sometimes it goes our way with like with McCain with the healthcare bill or now Corker. But we have to keep in mind that these are Senate Republicans. They are still funded by the same people. And just because they side with us one vote does not mean they're with us for the entirety of this term. That's right. Lisa Murkowski should not join the Democratic Party. People. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, historically, like, I don't think that the Republicans truly believe that, you know, triple-down economics actually work. No, of course like, not. It doesn't work. They're economic analysis. Like, you just got to look at, you know, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, like, the 1920s, they had triple-down <laughs> economics. That led to the Great Depression. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, with the uh, Bush tax cuts, that led to the 2008 Great Recession. Like, you literally it's been have, repeated again and again and again. You have, a, you have a Republican Party in Kansas who literally just tried the same type of economic model and literally this past year repealed it. And you have a governor who's, who's wanting to raise taxes, a Republican governor, because they're saying this just doesn't work. I'm sorry. Like, people yeah. are being paid to say that it works. You have you even have, like, some Republicans saying trickle-down doesn't work. These low tax rates don't work. You know, old... Old school Reagan Democrats or you know Reagan Republicans that all acknowledge that the stuff doesn't work. You have Reagan's economic yeah, advisor coming out against it. Yeah, yeah. So you know we have in this tax bill the corporate tax rate will be sliced essentially in half all the way down to twenty percent. Now uh, this is still yet to go to conference committee. Who knows what the final rates are going to look like uh, before they send it to the president to sign. Um, we and probably one of my the things I want to talk about a little bit was uh, this amendment that Senator Marco Rubio uh, introduced with uh, Mike Lee, I believe. They wanted to keep the child tax credit, uh, a, a tax credit that would you know help benefit um, you know children, saving money, whatever for families, by and having that paid for by just increasing the rate that they had listed in the tax bill from twenty percent, the corporate tax rate, uh, from twenty percent to twenty point nine five percent. Now, by all means, this is a very lukewarm amendment that would do very little to actually benefit working families, but they, they couched it in this idea that you know it would help benefit children or whatever. And you actually had bipartisan uh, opposition to that, but not for the same reasons. Democrats opposed it because it didn't go far enough and it was just like this meandering, lukewarm thing that wouldn't actually help families. But Republicans opposed it because it was incre they thought it was increasing the corporate tax rate by too much. It was by 0.95% from 20%, which is already 50% lower than the current corporate tax rate. So you have a dichotomy where Democrats are saying, this doesn't go far enough, or you're not actually helping working families. And you have Republicans saying, this is crazy. You know, you have Tea Party groups and donor influences, like Andrew was talking about, saying, we can't have 20.95%, it has to be 20%. So this is the kind of thing we're dealing with here. This is why elections matter. This is why, you know, when we talk about when the Democratic Party, when progressives talk about the influence of donors, when we talk about taking money out of politics, ending Citizens United, that kind of thing, this is what happens. We're, we're going to decrease the corporate tax rate to levels that haven't really been seen in over 50 years. 
And what's it going to do? It's going to cause a recession. It's going to cause. It's going to balloon the deficit. It's going to balloon the debt. And Republicans are going to be are to blame for it. And they can barely pass a coherent bill to begin with, even with a unified government. This we is, are due for a recession. And we're due soon. for a recession any minute now, essentially. So when you go to the polls in 2018 and decide whether or not you're going to vote, you're going to vote for your Republican senator or for your Republican congressman or whomever. This is what you have to think about. You have to think about the dichotomy. Of Republicans doing almost nothing to benefit working families or shooting them in the foot in, um, intentionally. I think the, another important thing to remember as far as electoral politics goes is on the Democratic side, right? We, we had this cyclical problem of Republicans tanking the economy because of poor just – it's just crony capitalism. I can't stress those two words enough. Like, yeah. It's not an actual economic agenda. Like doing nothing is not something. So what we have to remember is when we do vote in these next upcoming primaries, this next March – um, in March 6th here in Texas, what we need to do is we need to elect progressive Democrats yep. that are going to beat out these establishment Republicans, right? Because we're not going to take back the House, and we're not sure as hell not going to take back the Senate if we don't have the right candidates on the, on the ticket. And the most important thing is that we get a Democratic Congress, right, and eventually a Democratic president who are going to not just you know put in place everything that, they, that they've gutted from the Obama administration and not just you know bring these tax levels back up to where they were. We need a progressive agenda that is going to be pushed forward that's really going to help the middle class. Because if we don't do that, we're going to have stagnant economic growth until the next midterms. The Republicans are just going to knock us out again, and the same thing is just going to keep happening over and over again, right? We need to fix the problem now, and that starts by reforming the Democratic Party, moving it to a position where you know we're not just winning elections because we're the you know the lesser of two evils, or you know it's not a hey look at the other guys and look how, how bad they are kind of situation. It's people genuinely want us in power because they trust us. They know that we are going to do everything we can for working families, for working people, for everyday people. And you know, when we fix the economic problems of this country, the social ills that we see, this racial divisions and things like that, those start to get better. You know, but we can't solve that until we have a stable government, a stable economy. Democratic presidents create more jobs. They they're frequently elected in times of economic crisis. I mean, look at FDR. That's the easiest example. FDR, you know, the you know one of the first real progressive Democratic presidents. I mean, look at what he did, and this is what we're overdue for now. And it's all about, you know, like you said, taking advantage of the of the of the animus that there currently is towards Republicans, but taking advantage of it in a way that actually that is more than just a cyclical midterm wave, where you know it always happens, where you know the opposition party wins out over the party in power. You know, that's not a recipe for continued electoral success. You need to build, you need to have a platform that people will want to vote for again and again and again that withstands. You know the idea of this midterm oppositional wave that we always get in American politics. You know that's the that was the forty-year Democratic Congress that we had in the latter half of the twentieth century. So that's the kind of thing we need to be focusing on. And whether it's advocating for progressive platform, uh, progressive policies, or proving to people that what Republicans are doing behind closed doors are literally only benefiting the corporate their corporate donors. This is the idea. Like, this is the comic book version of what a GOP tax reform bill does. It provides over at least one or two percent relief towards the top one tenth, the one percent, the top one percent, the top ten percent, and increases taxes on the bottom twenty percent, and either or doesn't change the the tax rate at all for the second uh, bottom twenty percent. So this is ridiculous. This is something that we need to be shouting out in the streets. This is what Republicans are doing. This is how Democrats are going to do it better. All right. So I think now would be a pretty good segue to talk about um, net neutrality. Why not? So over the over the past two weeks, we've been uh, treated to you know um, internet activism, uh, you know 
against the uh, upcoming vote on the repeal of net neutrality, if I'm, if I'm describing this correctly, maybe someone here knows more about it. Uh, but essentially, uh, Ajit Pai, the current, I think, chair of the FCC, I think that's what, what his position is called. Yeah. Um, he's really advocating for this. He's really pushing for this. Obviously, this is a Trumpian agenda thing where there's no constituency for it, but they do it anyway because they're in power and all they want to do is deregulate uh, every aspect of American life. So I want to go around the room a little bit and just talk about what repealing net neutrality means for the American economy, for the American internet, what it means for people, what it means for college students, what it means for, you know, just anyone in general. So on an individual scale, you know, the you're going to have to buy a plan for say, oh, I want to watch some Netflix. You got to buy a plan specifically for that. If you want to play video games and watch Netflix, you're going to have to buy a, a separate package to get both of them at a speed where they won't be throttled so that you're not buffering every half second of Netflix you want to watch. It's not a free market egalitarian uh, policy whatsoever. It's going to really hinder, you know, the internet that drives, you know, the flow of information, you know, something that people of our generation are so accustomed to that it's really hard to imagine a world where that does not take place a world where we can't you know look up on wikipedia every half second exactly. <laughs> what we need to learn about like that is the kind of internet we are facing and so i would just like to urge everybody to there are protests that are going to be occurring across the country in so many major cities uh there's two here in austin uh, there's one on Guadalupe. Uh, this is on Thursday, and I would just like to urge everybody to go to that and stand up for this internet, uh, our internet, while we can. Because if we don't, you may not be hearing from us without uh, having to load. <laughs> every yeah. Half second. Uh, links, links to the events and protests will be forthcoming on the trending left page. Uh, so be be on the lookout for that. And I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. And I also think Nick works at Google, so he's uh he's yeah, an expert. No, Nick, Nick, <laughs> Nick is our resident technology expert, so please, uh floor's all yours. Well and I think this is also dangerous for college students because especially since these these uh if the tax plan goes through, it's gonna make the burden on college students yep. um, worse. Having all these various tiered internet plans make it harder for college students to get to resources they need. So I feel that's also dangerous, and I feel it's also dangerous because, in a sense, it hinders free speech. It hinders the ability for people to access all these various websites, these various resources on the Internet. The Internet is supposed to be a medium to make information democratically accessible to everyone. And when you, and you make, the, make it very tiered and expensive, it removes that benefit of the Internet. I, I feel like... Just like with healthcare that we're seeing the debate on that and education and infrastructure spending, no matter what it is, the 5% of Republicans or conservatives that actually believe that this stuff works like economic policy wise, I, I think they just have a fundamental misunderstanding of it. And so I saw a Ben Shapiro video Ugh. on, oh, yeah, God. yeah, I agree with you, but I saw a Ben Shapiro video yesterday on, on net neutrality, right? And it's, it's the Daily Wire show that he has and people like send him questions, right? And he does his usual like responds in one minute and it's just like talking as fast as you can and pointing out like Ben Shapiro owns liberals and net neutrality. Yeah. yeah, but I mean his his argument was he was trying to make some weird metaphor that I don't think he, like he got confused in the middle of the metaphor, but he was saying that the internet 
and internet service providers are like water going through pipes in the sense that you can contract with different companies for the, the like what pipe you use and but like the water it like liberals think that in some way it's supposed to be like some free resource that everyone can just turn on the tap and get the same water and it's like yeah, that's, yeah. that's how that's it works. Literally, yeah. that's, that's, literally that's called a public good. That's what the internet is. I'm sorry that... Well, conservatives <laughs> want to eliminate public goods. You well, know, they, you know well, at least those arch conservatives. Well, and his, his main argument was that it causes competition because then, you know, everyone's going to be bidding to try and have the lowest plan with, you know, the best possible quality for consumers. It's like, but we see time and time again that doesn't work. Whether it's in the manufacturing industry and, and food and drug companies, like people just cut corners so that they can have lower prices for consumers. Exactly. Because that's the only way to do it. And if it's an essential good like the internet or like healthcare service, what they're going to do is they know that you need to buy it. So they're going to put it as high of a price as possible because they know that you have to pay for it. It's okay or, to contract for, companies to provide you water, but all those companies have to follow the exact same you know, state or local regulations to make sure that the water is potable and drinkable to everyone. And at one point he was saying that the point of this was that local governments could contract with internet service providers. I'm sorry. Do conservatives like or hate local control? I don't understand because they seem to flip-flop on every issue. On a side note, does Flint, Michigan still have clean water yet? No, they yeah. don't. No, and, and that's <laughs> the other thing, right? Like you know, like you said, competition and creates cutting corners. Great. Now let's start competing for water, and where you know Comcast Water Company will cut all the corners to provide you with the least filtered water. But hey, at least it's only ten dollars a month. You know, it's ridiculous. That's not the way this kind of thing should work. The internet is a public good. We have to make sure that. Everyone has equal access to it because in the same way that you need clean water to not die, you need fast internet. That way you can open yourself up to economic opportunities, educational opportunities, you know, leisure opportunities. If you know, if you're in the school of thought that everyone has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a free and open internet is absolutely essential to that. For true free market competition to happen with the internet, there has to be that infrastructure which costs billions of dollars in each locality. And that's something that companies really even when they've received the subsidies for this, they've never actually used it to build up. Like we were supposed to have fiber optic internet across the U.S. by 2000. Uh, <laughs> and 17 years later, they're still raking in the fees that were supposed to be building this. And clearly it's not happening. Free market competition, this ideal of Republican economics hasn't truly existed with internet since practically the very beginning. One of my dad's customers still has dial-up internet. <laughs> oh, wow. I wish I was joking. I mean, we, we just find ourselves in a time where we as, as the liberal movement, right, in, in the United States are defending a bunch of things that we haven't really known that we've been enjoying for the last few years, right? Exactly. The Obama administration because, you know, and, I, and I've talked about this before with you, Mark, and other people. Like, Obama, his main fault as a commander-in-chief, as, as, you know, the head of the Democratic Party in a way, elected head, was really to push forward the democratic agenda and say every day, literally getting on Facebook Live or something like that and telling people, this is what we did for you today, and this, these are the bad things that we stopped from happening to you every day, right? Telling people exactly how you're fighting for them, that way they know that you're fighting for them, right? They don't feel like nothing is happening. Um, I think one of the biggest things is probably net neutrality. It's not something that's been around for the last 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. Since the emergence of computers, really. It's, it's something that's newer that Obama, a lot of the regulations that we're seeing that are gonna be repealed were put in during his administration. So I think that's the biggest thing to think about is just like just because this is something new doesn't mean that it's it's not supported by the American people. I mean, we see that with the Affordable Care Act, you know. Yeah. It's like it, it that hasn't had the 20 years to sink in like other programs like Medicare and Medicaid have, but that doesn't mean that people don't rely on it. 
I mean, I haven't seen any polling numbers for who supports net neutrality, but I'm guessing that it vastly transcends party lines. Yeah, Everyone uses the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, like I said, it's a public good. It's something that people enjoy. If the Republicans were to get up there and say that they're going to repeal fire, like firemen and like public education, like you know, public education. Yeah, you need, to pay, you need to pay for tiers like, that, like you know, that depending on how much you can afford depends on like what kind of fire service you yeah, get or education. People would be outraged, and, and of course, that's because we've grown used to that it's just a stable part of our society but that doesn't mean that this is not still being fought for right i think i think at least i've seen some liberals and some conservatives coming together on this and i think that's important yeah this libertarian style of treating public utilities i mean first is the internet then it's going to be roads and fire like you said and water and, well, and, and, they're and electricity to, and they're trying to do it with roads yeah they're 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 already, no, we already see it, it. And we're they want to have toll it. roads as the major yeah. the major you know example of good infrastructure building it's ridiculous I'm sorry people should not be having to pay and that's a huge thing here in texas too yeah they recently announced i-35 which is if you don't know if you're not from austin or texas is the major major road in order to get into austin from a lot of the outlying it areas. begins in laredo by the way <laughs> yeah it goes all the way to canada but the, big, <laughs> the biggest thing is is understanding that they want to put in two toll lanes on the side of the three-lane I-35 okay. in order to, in order to you know, speed up traffic because it gets clogged in a lot of areas. But it's the same argument here. Like All you're trying to do is, quote-unquote, make it better by making people pay more for a yeah. better service. You wanna, like, you, you wanna, I'm sorry, that's not how it works. You want to get to work on time, really. you got to pay up. You know That that hurts middle-class and lower-income families that maybe they only have one car and they, can only, and they have to get to work. You know, they have to leave their houses a lot earlier than, you know, upper middle class people have to, to go to work. You know, it's the same thing, same thing with internet. You need equal and fair access to roads, just like you need equal and fair access to the internet. Again, it's the economic opportunities. All job listings are online now. You can't go to the pages. It's very, you can barely go to the newspaper to find job postings. It's all online. You see a lot of startup businesses happening online, right? Mm-hmm. People yeah. who are doing like Etsy stores and things like that that are important for, for extra disposable income. And what we see is this plan is going to vastly limit the amount of resources and opportunities that people will have to do that, to be independent business owners, which apparently is something that Republicans said that they love, but they're not really showing it, right? Tough love, at least. And it's it's like, to what point do you guys understand that the libertarian argument of like the internet, because it, it as a like functionary system does not generate GDP growth by itself, not mean anything? Because it's not... It's not an economic machine unless people use it, and they can't use it unless you give them the opportunity to. So this will be a good transition to really the uh, final topic that I want to talk about here. We've got lots of bombshells from the Mueller investigation, the FBI investigation, on uh, the whole Russia stuff, Um, you know, the fake news, as our commander-in-chief likes to call it. Uh, The other day, I I remember what day, I think this was yesterday, this was breaking news yesterday and the day before yesterday, uh, on Michael Flynn, knowingly and pled guilty to lying to the FBI and our commander-in-chief, great respectable guy, uh, tweeting that he knew that Michael Flynn lied to the FBI and fired him. Not good. He did lawful things. Bad, bad. Crooked Hillary, whatever. I don't care. It, <laughs> Lock it, him up. <laughs> it, it, it boggles the mind that Michael Flynn, whom the Obama administration warned Trump not to hire, but Trump hired anyway for his campaign, and then leading chance, you know, leading uh, essentially misogynist chance against Hillary Clinton, lock her up for scandals that were perpetrated by the Republican Party to uh, tank her approval ratings, now is suddenly finding himself at on the business end of Mueller's investigative gun and is going to, you know, 
I don't know if he'll face prison time because you know if he's work if he's if he's working with the FBI, that'll probably alleviate any sentence or, or punishment he'll get. I imagine um, he'll get something. Yeah. No, I imagine he'll get something, right? But like you know, if you you know the the idea is that you work with the FBI, you you get some alleviation there. Right. So I, just, I don't doubt that he's giving all this information for nothing. Yeah. I mean, no, no, obviously, obviously. So in in the case of Flynn, the fact that he only got one felony count is indicative that they're using Flynn as bait to go after higher ups, and Flynn was pretty dang high up. So that means that there's not that many people above that. So they're going for the really big fish. Well, of course, and, he, and, and Flynn said in the the indictment that they had and the deposition that they released a few days ago, saying that like he's literally going to give them information on how he was ordered from the very top of the campaign. Jared Kushner, mm-hmm. Jared Kushner, and possibly Donald Trump. Well, well, well here's the I don't thing. know how well, Kushner well, still well, has a security. Well, here's the thing there. Here's, <laughs> the, here's the emails. Here's the here's the thing there. We all we all probably saw that ABC News headline. Where that said that Michael Flynn was directed by Trump to collude with the Russians, that ended up being false. Unfortunately, that that ended up being an erroneous report. That right. re- the that reporter report, fired. That that reporter got well. He, he suspended without pay. Well, well, I, I understand. Yeah, that. yeah. So, I saw so, that. Yeah, so I'm corrected. It's it's Jerry. What I'm Kushner. saying here is that they find out that Kushner did it. Yeah. And they bring Kushner in. That might, and then that Kushner may, tells them that, that, that Trump up, ordered him. Like yeah. it's it's a monkey chain all the way to the very top. I want to just briefly, like, as an aside, that ABC News article, that ABC News report, that's getting a lot of flack, you know, from conservatives. Uh, or by conservatives saying that like this is real fake news or whatever, and the problem is it was a report that had one erroneous bit, but the rest of it ended up being you know true that like Michael Flynn's culpability and his you know his fault there, uh, and that tanked the market, which is a real economic you know you know that, that is a like a real tangible economic loss you know, that and that is true, but the fact of the matter is the conservative attack on the mainstream media is literally causing you know. Things you know, uh, slave trades in Africa and then the Middle East to go completely unreported, or when it is reported, completely um, un you know not taken seriously. It's just as you know, I know I'm getting way off topic here from the Flynn, from the Mueller investigation. But in Libya, there there was video captured by a CNN international news reporter that showed a real live 2017 modern day slave mm-hmm. trade that was reported on by CNN international and. When Trump is going out there, you know, around the same time calling CNN fake news because he doesn't like that they're, that they're reporting on his Russia stuff or his failed or his awful tax reform bill, people in Libya and, you know, the press in Libya and officials in Libya are using that to discredit the fact that there is a real live slave trade going on right now in one of the more, the quote-unquote civilized parts, you know, the more developed parts of Africa. And this is ridiculous. And, and it, it all goes back to the Mueller investigation where, where he's already getting discredited by, you know, old, you know, by Tea Party Republicans. And then, like, when you look at, say, Trump calling the press the enemies of the people, this is a line of rhetoric that has direct precedent in, you know, Nazi Germany, Soviet Russia. These are the lines of a dictator. You that can almost say to discredit, you know, free flow of information. You can almost say that's like the historical perspective, right? Oh yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute travesty <laughs> that Trump gets to say stuff like this and not get called out about it as much as he yeah, like, The Tea Party ran on accountability. That was their entire thing. That the Obama administration was fiscal responsibility. The Obama administration, uh, the Obama administration was not transparent. That they was you know turning the American presidency into a dictatorship. Like we literally have neo-fascism right now exactly. happening in the White House, happening in the outer circles of you know the Roger Stone, the people that he associates yeah. with, and the people that have brokered some of these deals that we've seen with WikiLeaks and other groups. It's like, wake up, conservatives. We're not against you if you'll stand with us against 
demagoguery. That's what it is, yeah. plain and yeah. simple. Yeah. They're defending a figurehead at all costs because they don't want him to go down. Let him go down. Give yourself up now. Like you don't have to be on the wrong side of history here completely. And yeah. I yeah, like Repo- it's like the Republicans are doing the same thing with Roy Moore and everyone else. Oh gosh. Show. You know, it, just it, it's, drop it's, like, it's like they don't care. As long as there's an R next to the name, they'll support them. There's no morality, it seems. Mitch McConnell, I don't care. I will let you be sleazy this once. Drop him right now. Field a write-in candidate. Put someone substantial against Doug Jones. I don't care. But don't support a damn pedophile. Amen. Plain and simple. Yeah. Like, I'd like people to consider what would happen if America does fully go down the neo-fascist path. The last time this happened with Nazi Germany, they weren't the most powerful country in the planet by a long shot. I mean, it's, we it's, are there, the, there, there are too many Democrats for this. To it's, it's not going. It's, I mean, it, the institution, but it's it's the the idea of how this taints the presidency going forward. How mm-hmm. this taints de- you know American democracy going forward. Well, we, I mean, our, our, world is, our world standing is finished for the next. Yeah. You know, we you know. We thought that like this was the problem after Bush ended his reign, but wow, I mean, Bush looks like Abraham Lincoln in comparison to Trump, and it's going to take some standout Democrat in order to be able to repair. Our and that's not to praise Bush, obviously, but no, obviously, yeah, no, 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 but like this is what he looks like. I don't, I don't really want to go down the road of, <laughs> of arguing what the likelihood. I'm just, I would, I would like to point out I that just, I don't the, think that Trump is intelligent enough or no, ambitious enough to, to declare no, himself. No, Trump isn't, Trump isn't, Trump isn't intelligent enough. His inner circle are, and like this has, but I think that, I think that a lot. Like, of, it's a really slippery slope. But I think a lot of the people who would have been that problem, such as Steve Bannon, are out of the White House now. And while yeah. they are still influencing Trump, they're still calling him, still in contact with him. I don't think they have the same institutional power than they had before. And I think a lot of the people that we see now are just the same ones who are going to continuously pillage the economy, like they always do, right? It's the same yeah. Gary Cohn, Steve Mnuchin's that just get in and out of Republican administrations, right, just to make money for themselves. It's I see it more of a problem that we just need to cut the head off the stake now. Yeah, we to, 2018. We need to stop the cyclical cycle. Uh, okay, <laughs> cyclical cycle, but yeah. we need to stop the repetition of, of Democrats coming in, saving the day, but not having a strong enough bench to hold hold the line. Yeah, um, that's that's. I think that's the biggest problem, as opposed to like, you know, literal life or death for our democracy. As, as opposed to us <laughs> seeing Wolfenstein too, you know, become a reality in the next twenty years. Yeah. So, um, you know, just to round out, this, the Mueller investigation is still ongoing. Uh, the problem, there may be more breaking news today, tomorrow, this week. We'll see what happens uh, as he, you know, kind of goes through it and, and see if we can't, uh, you know, cut the cut the head off the snake early. Okay, thanks for listening, y'all. Uh, and again, next week will be our last episode uh, before the holidays. We'll be back, of course, next semester. But um, you know, this is the Portland Ultimate episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>